you'll turn to me to Genesis 1. We are continuing our series today on um, Christianity and culture and the collision, the collision points where the truths of the word and uh, the philosophies of this world and the ways of this world collide. And, and those points are many and they are increasing every day. And as you turn to Genesis 1, today we are going to, uh, and really over the next couple of weeks, uh, we are going to look at the issue of marriage, where culture and Christianity collide regarding the issue of marriage. And you'll see the title, Marriage by Design, Gender Matters. By design, gender matters. That's what I want us to see today. If I, I, I mean, I, I want to I wanna answer the question. If you were thinking today, if I asked you, why do we care? And this is the question that the world is asking. This is the question that many of your coworkers are asking. These, these are the questions that the world is asking. Why do you care if two women get married? Why do you care if two men get married? I mean, if, if they love each other, if they want to marry, if they want to be monogamous, if they want to be committed, why do you care? I mean, who are you? Who, why do you have the right to tell them they can't get married? If you, if, you were, if you were to be asked that at your work, if you were to be asked that Christian at school, if, if, if one of your friends came up to you and their mother was marrying another woman and, and they thought it was awesome and they wanted you to come celebrate it, would you? Would you have the conviction? Would you have the, the, the wisdom of the word to be able to stand up to that? Would, would you continue standing up to that even if you were ridiculed? If you were, if you were isolated because of those beliefs? We, we live in a world today that is, is everything is seemingly up for, up for grabs. Everything is up for grabs. We, we live in a world that, that is seeking to redefine what a human life is. Peter and his team battle with that every day. What has seemingly been understood for millenniums now is up for grabs. Sexuality. Up for grabs. What it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, up for grabs. I read an article the other day, this is the world we live in, 54-year-old man married two children, decided that he was a six-year-old girl. He was not a 54-year-old man, he wanted to be a six-year-old girl. Another family adopted him into their family and lets him play with Barbie dolls with their kids. And they think it's awesome. And, and here's the deal. He just said, I don't want, I, he, they, they talked to him, he said, I just don't want the responsibilities of being an adult. So I'm going to be a six-year-old girl. That, that's the world we live in. And it was on the internet, you know it's true. <laughs> but no, no, it, they had pictures of the guy. It was an interview, it was a physical interview you could see with a guy. It's like a 54-year-old man. With things like what it means to be married, why we marry, what marriage is about. Who can get married? What in, everything is up for grabs. What we see today is exactly what they saw at the end of the book of Judges. 
Everyone, there was no king in the land, and guess what? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the world we live in. There's no king in the land, proverbially. The word of God is not heralded. It's not held on to. It's not lifted high. And guess what? Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And we are reaping the fruit of that. Listen, for our entire nation's history and beyond our nation, for all of civilization all over the world, marriage has been defined as one man, one woman. For all history. And now all of a sudden, even, listen, even in our own history, talking about America, even as close as in 1996, our nation passed what was called the Defense of Marriage Act, the acronym DOMA, D-O-M-A. And, it, and, it, and Democrats and Republicans, as crazy as that sounds, got together and agreed that marriage was this, one man, one woman. That was our definition of marriage just 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yet in 2013, the Supreme Court ruled, and I'm quoting them, th this is what the Supreme Court ruled. This is what they said. These are quotes. Those who passed this law in 1996, and, and, and this were, quote, acting with the intent to harm. To say that marriage is one man, one woman, you were acting with the intent to harm. L listen, it gets better. Their words state that supporters of the DOMA, DOMA, Defense of Marriage Act, were... The, meaning those that hold to marriage as one man, one woman. Listen to this. They said anyone who agrees with that and holds to that is a bigot. That's the Supreme Court of this nation. 2013. To say that marriage is one man, one woman, you're, you're a bigot. You're hateful. Listen, this is what they, they go on. It gets better. Defenders of this definition of marriage, one man, one woman, again, the one that our nation has hold, held for its entire history, are people who sought to listen, I quote, demean, disparage, humiliate, and injure. That, that's the intent. Our, the Supreme Court of our nation says that if you hold that marriage is one man and one woman, you're a bigot. You're hateful. You're seeking to demean, to disparage, to humiliate, and to injure. Strong words. My question, is that really why, we're, is that really why we hold to one man, one woman? Are we even as Christians, is the intent of Christianity, is even our mission being redefined? To hold to truth, to hold to the word, shame on you. Truth that truth is up for definition. That's the world we live in. Is that our intention? Or is that just how Satan and the world wants to picture us so that the world is against us? The question becomes, why do we defend what we defend? Why, why in the world would we, in face of opposition, in face of the Supreme Court saying that about you and I, why would, why would we, in the face of being accused of being, of being a bigot and demeaning, and intent, why would we hold to a man and a woman to that definition of marriage? Why? 
maybe, just maybe, this definition is intent not to injure, but to prevent them from injury. Maybe God in His wisdom designed marriage in that way. Maybe that's why He's called His people to stand up in the face of opposition to prevent them from further injury. See, I, that's what, I, I was speaking to a man who is, who is battling with some things and, and, and his marriage is in dire trouble. And, and I was speaking to him, I say speaking through text. I mean, that's the only way I could get him to talk to me and that seems to be the communication of the world we live in. To have a phone conversation seems to be, even that seems redefined. You know, communication I thought was like verbal. <laughs> now it's typing. But anyway, I said, what's going on? He said, I'm trying to figure out what I want. And I was sitting there looking at this text, and as clear as the day, this is one of those times where God said, Chris, not audible, just in my heart, this is what I want you to remind him of. He says, I'm trying to figure out what I want. I, I typed back, and I said, want what God wants. See, I, you don't want to know what I want. And half the time, what I want and what my flesh wants ain't got nothing to do with what this Word wants. That's why I'm... That's why I, I, I try to flood myself with this word, because I'm trying to reprogram this wretched mind of mine. I'm trying to, as, as Paul says in, in Romans 12, I'm trying to transform and renew. I, I mean, he, and, and in our world, everything is up for grabs. The, the individual is always right. If you want it, do it. That's the world we live in. But, but here's why definitions matter. And, and, and here's, why, here's why it matters, and, and that's what I want to get to. Essentially, in 2013, the Supreme Court redefined how our nation defined marriage. They redefined the term. Interestingly, the president who signed that bill into office, he loves to redefine terms, and has since said that was a big mistake. It's all about terms. I mean, enemies, it go, they, they went on to say this, anyone who holds to a definition of marriage other than the one that the Supreme Court now states, that it can be anybody, is an enemy of the human race. That's a quote. To hold one man, one woman, the Supreme Court, 2013, direct quote, you are an enemy of the human race. Enemy of the human race. Here, here's my point. We, we better know what we believe. And we better, we better have in our hearts this issue settled because when you're accused of being a bigot, when you're accused of being demeaning and destructive and an enemy of the human race, you've got to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to defend? Is it, is it worth it to... Even this message right here, even giving this message right here, there is a day... I would not be surprised. You do this in another country, you're in jail. Preach this in Canada. They'll throw your butt in jail. The day is coming in America. And that's why I want us, when we're asked these questions in our schools, or in our, in our, in our play, at the playground, or at work, or, or in our homes with other couples in our neighborhoods, I, I want to give us a biblical defense for marriage as we define it. And I want us to see that we're not bigots. We're not haters of the human race. We're not enemies. We're actually lovers of God. 
We're, we're soldiers for Christ. We're, we've given our allegiance to the one who bled and died and was resurrected on our behalf and, and the one who created us. And as creator, he gets to define the terms. As creator, he gets to define who gets married. Terms matter. Have you, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're, you're using the same words, but you mean different things by the words? That can be frustrating. Like if I said, if I said let's go play some football. The other day, a better example, and this is more personal. Karen asked, say, hey, you want to go for a bike ride? Go to Flatwoods and go for a bike ride. Yeah, let's go to Flatwoods and go for a bike ride. 14 miles later, we would get back in the car. That's not a bike ride. That's called Tour de New Tampa. <laughs> like, I'm trying to call Lance Armstrong to figure out how he did it. I hurt in places that I didn't know you could physically hurt. Somehow, Karen and I turned a seven-mile trip into 14 miles it could have been 11. We took wrong turns. How you get lost on a loop? Like, I couldn't even pass to be a NASCAR driver. I could not even just turn left. We ended up on I-75 at one point. Like, we were over on 301, I think it was 301 or Cross Creek at another point. We were, that's not a bike ride. That's a journey. That's like a vacation. Except I hurt from it. But, but definitions matter. When someone says marriage in our world, it means a ton of things. Even the term football. Some, of, some people think of a, uh, of a pigskin. Other people think of a... You, ask, you say football around the Rays, they're going to talk about a round ball that's black and white. Different, different meanings. And... and, and we, definitions matter. We come in here, I'm probably not going to make it through today, this message today, but it'll be a couple weeks. We come in here, the, the fear and the challenge in, in preaching this is this. We come in here from all different perspectives, backgrounds. There are people in here that this is very close to home. There are people in here that have no idea why it's such a big deal. We're coming here from all different backgrounds. We, some of us come in here informed biblically. Some of us come in here totally uninformed biblically. Some of us in here couldn't care less if we're... Maybe. Some of us come here and this is a very emotional issue. Some of us, again, are like, oh, I, I, don't, I never run into anybody and I don't know what... But, but So when we preach this, all of that comes into play in how we hear it and how we receive it. On, on the front end, I, I'm going to do my best as always to stick to the Bible. And I will ask you to... To, to commit to sticking to what the Bible says. Not what you feel. Not what we think. Not, oh, you know, I know such and such and they're so happy. Look, I can do a lot of things that make me happy that don't make it biblical. There's a lot of things in this world that would make me happy, but not holy. Happy, not biblical. I mean, this man I talked to, he said he's trying to figure it out. You know what he's trying to figure out? What will make him most happy? But, but leaving a, a family behind, don't make it, you know, it's wrong. So we need to sit with the Bible, not relying on feelings, not what seems fair or, make, or, or, or what makes us right. Some of us have friends, even family, who are married or want to marry. I, I get it. And, and they think differently than you, and you cherish their friendship, you cherish their relationship, you love them as family members. But, but that doesn't make it right. And I want us to be able to walk out here and defend 
to defend why we will, in the face of opposition, no matter what, hold marriage to be one man, one woman. One man, one woman, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And so the first thing you'll see in your hand out there, just two questions. Two questions today that I want to try to defend, and we'll, we'll answer some more questions regarding this issue in the weeks to come, but it's this. Who created marriage, and why does gender matter? Who created marriage, and why does gender matter? Those, those I, I ask that, those are two questions. They're bound up in one. When, when we look at these passages today, you're going to see that you cannot have one without, you cannot answer one without the other. Gender matters, and it's all bound up in the creation. It's all bound up in who created marriage. This is huge. Who designed marriage? Where did it come from? What is it about? Why gender matters? Huge foundational issues, and, and, and they're, they're, they're together. The, the reality is, is who, who created marriage? That gives it worth. That gives it value. You understand that we're willing to pay top dollar for a for a purse that says Coach. The same Coach, if you the same purse, if you take Coach off, it don't sell for near as much. You slap Nike on some shoes, all of a sudden the shoes are one hundred fifty dollars. You can go buy a pair of blue shoes anywhere for twenty nine ninety nine. But the Creator matters. Thank you, Ben. Who who created it matters. Who signed off on it matters. It changes everything. You'll see some pictures that look like my children drew them, but if you sign Van Gogh to the bottom, they're getting millions of dollars. And it looks like Bradley and Sarah Grace, my 7 and 10-year-old, drew those things. Van Gogh drew them. So now they're worth millions. Listen to me. Every single one of us were created by God. We matter. We have value. The fact that He created you as a male... That, that's intentional, it matters. The fact that you're a female, that's intentional, and it matters. Look, at you're, you're there in Genesis 1. I, I want to pick some, some, parts, some, some parts of this uh, and verses apart and help us to understand it, but, but here's what I want us to see ultimately, or just foundationally. Foundationally, marriage is the doing of God. We're going to see that right off the bat. God could have created... Any way, he could have started any way he wanted to start. He could have made a bunch of men and a bunch of women and just said, hey, y'all figure it out and do whatever y'all want to do. He didn't do that. He created a man, and out of that man, he created a woman. And from that, he instituted marriage. Listen, marriage has value, and marriage is worth fighting for because it originated with God, and it was designed by God. And guess what? As designer, we take our cues from him. The, the designing of marriage as we see, you see it right off the bat, the very beginning, we see the issue of marriage, the issue, the issue of a man and a woman coming together to form one flesh with specific purposes in mind. But we also see not only marriage, you see right off the bat the creation of male and female and gender differences and why there are differences. Listen, beyond the fact that marriage is God's doing, another point I want to put out right from the start, and this goes hand in hand. We can't understand marriage until we understand the bare basics of our sexuality. The bare basics of why they are male and why they are female. Because God builds this whole thing upon the framework of those differences. He could have created anything He wanted. 
He could have brought about children any way he wanted. He could have, if he wanted, could have had two men in his design. He's God. He could have had two men create kids. He could have had two men. He didn't do it that way. One man, one woman. There's purpose here. God created male and female specifically and with intentional designs here, specifically with a union, with marriage in mind. And here's the point. Here's the point that's at the heart that's so relevant today, whether it's so-called gender confusion, whether it's what constitutes marriage, is this. Sexuality is at the heart of God's design for marriage. Sexuality, male, female. And as such, it should be very little wonder to us that that is exactly where Satan is attacking. If it's foundational to everything, you, it would make sense that, hey, that's where I'm going to attack. Gender matters. Look at Genesis 1, 27. Or start in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Listen, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There is a load right there in that verse. Both male and female were created in the image of God. As such, man shares dignity and value. Woman shares dignity and value. Nothing else in creation bore that title in the image of God. Men and women are equal. No one is denying that. They were both created by God. They share dignity. They share value. They are both alike in in that way. Nobody will argue that men and women both were created with equal dignity before God. Both share certain moral, intellectual, relational capacities of God. Both share the worth of having been created by God. We're not dealing with inequality here. What we're dealing with is different roles. Different roles do not mean inequality. Listen, look at 1 Peter. Listen, listen to 1 Peter 3 7. I'll read it for the sake of time. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor, listen, as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Fellow heirs, not less, not greater. For the most part, what they're saying there is, is women, that word weaker there is delicate. Oftentimes, maybe not the case in my home, because look at me, men are stronger. I mean, our kids are going to Karen saying, can you open this jar? Right. <laughs> what in the world? Your daddy's sitting here. We know. We've tried you. Hey, mama, will you answer this? I'll give you an answer, and I want mama to answer, but I can answer. I think that's why God put me in charge, just to, sh- just to spite, but anyway... She's so much better and equipped to do the things that I'm supposed to do. But equality does not mean... Listen, equal, yes. Equal, yes. But equality doesn't mean that the two are identical or interchangeable. That's a key point. That is a key differing point. Equal, yes. Interchangeable, no. Equal, yes. Identical, no. And and that's what the world wants. That is a key point where the world and Christianity 
They, they collide. The Bible says equal but distinct. Culture will try to tell you equal but indistinct, that there's no differences. Interchangeable. Hey, gender doesn't matter. The, the Bible says that each of us has specific roles, and we'll get into that in, in a week or two. Culture says that the roles are interchangeable. You don't need a mom and a dad. You can have two moms. You can have two dads. We're equal. The roles are interchangeable. Listen, equality doesn't eliminate distinctions or roles. Genesis 1 makes it very clear God created as he did with a purpose and for specific reasons. Look, look at verse 28 of Genesis 1. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. What's the very first commandment that man and that husband and wife were given? Be fruitful and multiply. I'm going to ask you a very basic question. I hope you get it right. Look and look, 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 act like you're with me. The answer is not Jesus. I know that's the Sunday school answer. Don't say Jesus. It's a different answer this time. Fundamental question, basic question. We could stop right here and walk away and it would make total sense. How many kids can two men or two women create on their own? Zero. Zero. That's all right. Zero. Two men. Hey, guess what? You got to have a man. You got to have a woman. Bottom line. Look, gender matters because of the gracious and good design of God. Look, you, you can go and get, in, you know, and a woman who's married to a woman can get pregnant, but guess what? She needs a man. Somewhere in that process, there's a man. And that's by God's design. Listen, the, the fulfillment of God's even most basic design is only possible by the very nature of how God created marriage, male and female. Multiplication was in mind. The filling of the earth was in mind. Again, he could have done it any way he wanted to do it. He's God. And he did it male and female. Listen, God's unique design allows creation to carry out his command. That's always the way God works. God does not ill-equip you to do what he calls you to do. He equips you for what he calls you to do. And the purpose was to fill the earth. And he said, I'm going to create a man. And out of that man, I'm going to create a woman. And the two of them are going to come together. God designed all that. Every process that Peter deals with every day designed by God. Not an accident. Look at Psalm 139. It's, it's purposed. You, we need exactly what God gave in order to get what God intended. One man, one woman in the image of God with the purpose of being fruitful and multiplying. And I apologize, I'm thinking about this later. Some of you may have kids in here, and this may create a conversation you ain't had with them yet, so I apologize. I, I Forgive me, I should have forewarned you. Listen, the, the issue of marriage boils down to simply trusting God and His design. Hebrews 11.6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. At the end of the day... We can argue all we want, but this is very clear in Scripture, and the issue boils down to this, trusting God. The issue boils down to exactly what we saw in James, human wisdom versus godly wisdom. 
upper level wisdom versus lower level wisdom? Are we going to want to do it the way that we think it's right? Or are we going to do it the way that God said is right? Are we going to trust Him? It's not about what works. It's not about pragmatism. It's about trusting God. Same issue we looked at with a narrow, with a narrow gospel, the goodness of a narrow gospel. God created that no one comes to the Father but through Christ. End of story. My, job, my responsibility is to accept that, is to trust it. It's about trusting God. But it goes, simple, it goes beyond simple reproduction. Look at Genesis 2, verses 18 through 24. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. You see that phrase twice. So God, God parades all these animals in front of Adam. Two purposes. Name them, but I want you to see, Adam, that none of them look like none of them are suitable for you. They all, they all had, they all had, none of them are suitable for you. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought, brought her to the man. The man said, now, can you imagine what Adam must have thought when he woke up? I mean, just, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, this is what Adam said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his, who? Wife. They shall become one flesh. One man, one woman. Listen, there, there's something far greater at stake here than simply reproduction, as if that was a small thing. And, and it goes to the very heart of God's design in creating male and female differently. Listen, you, you see that as, as, as God creates out of Adam a suitable helper. Listen, you see it on your hand. God created man and woman in such a way that they would cherish their equality while complementing their differences. A suitable helper. Why do you need a suitable helper? To do what you are not good at or can't do. To have someone come alongside you. Our, our ice machine and water wasn't working on a refrigerator. David Patterson, my uncle, came over and did for $1.32 what the repairman said would cost $500. Suitable helper. Now don't take that far than it needs to go because he's a man and I'm a man. So stop right there. He, he helped us. God says, I'm going to give Adam, I'm going to give you a suitable helper. Listen, God decrees that it is not good for man to be alone. And notice, notice how he solves the problem. He parades all the animals and none were suitable for Adam. Notice how he solves the problem. He solves it by creating a helper. And was that helper another man? Well, no, no, it was a woman. It was a woman. He did it purposefully. He did it intentionally. He gave Adam a wife on purpose. This was God-initiated, God-intended. He gave him somebody different on purpose, a compliment, a helper. 
even right there is a, is a point of tremendous debate and differentiality between Christianity and our culture. As I said earlier, we live in a culture that more and more is saying society is our, this is true, look it up. Society is saying more and more that sexual differences are not real, but they are merely social constructions. That, that the differences between men and women are not real, but they're simply what our society has constructed. They seriously say that. And, and that's why the natural progression is this. In the world's eyes, it makes sense for two men to marry or two women because there's no difference. They're interchangeable. And, and, but is it biblically true? Does the fact that we're equal mean we're identical? Clearly it doesn't. We've seen that. We're distinct. God could have done anything He wanted to do, and yet He did this. He created out of man somebody different. And you see that in 23 and 24. Out of the man, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Listen, Adam realizes that he, he parades all those animals in front of him and none were suitable. This is what God was teaching Adam. He realized that he needed someone equal to him but different from him with the purpose of accomplishing things he could not do on his own. And marriage as designed by God is a man and a woman. It was purposeful. Two dignified people, both bearing the image of God, both being equal in his eyes, but both having a purpose and a role specific to what God intended. Wives, you have a role. We will see it in a couple of weeks. I say a couple of weeks because next week we have the privilege, and I, I hope you will attend. Mark Cahill, Idlewild has invited Mark Cahill to come in. He's leading a conference. Idlewild already had a guest speaker, and so he's going to come here and preach on evangelism, tying that in with this series. Uh, on, and sharing our faith and, and, and equipping us for that. He, is, he, he, he comes with books that he just gives away because he wants to see people fulfilled. And I pray you'll come back next week and we'll pick this up in two weeks. But, but that is what we're defending. We're defending God's design. We're defending really our Lord, God himself. He made two individuals equal but distinct and different on purpose. Listen to what David Platt says, and you see it on your handout. It's the next handout. God formed man and woman to be able to come together and form one flesh, a physical bond between two bodies where the deepest point of union is found at the greatest point of difference. You and I are going to see in a couple weeks that marriage is a picture of the gospel. It is a picture of Jesus Christ's relationship to the church. Distinct, different, you'll see our roles. Husband, you play the role of Christ. Wife, you play the role of the church. The, the thought that there are not distinctions between man and woman is silly. Listen, even your kids at an early age know that. Let's be honest. Kids at the earliest age, they know the difference between boys and girls. We're different. Part of the struggle in marriage, let's be honest, is this just in. If you don't get anything out, listen to this. Men don't think like women, and women don't think like men. We're different. It's true. Akeen said it's true. It's true. 
as wonderful as Esther is, she don't think like you. Listen, part of a woman, get, part of a woman getting married is this. I'm going to teach that man to think like me. I'm going to teach him. I'm going to educate him. Train him. No, we don't think like We're different. But that's a good thing. That's intended on a purpose. See, the two of us come together to form one flesh, to complement, to help, to be helpmates. Anyone who has been married for any amount of time knows that men and women are different, but that does not affect our equality. That's by God's design. We're different by design. We're different on purpose. It, like Some of you in here love to put puzzle pieces together. And I, and I was thinking about this last night. And Think about two puzzle pieces. Different? Absolutely. Is one more important than the other? Absolutely not. Think about the frustration of putting together a puzzle and you're missing one piece. It's frustrating. Listen, but you take all those, you take those two pieces who individually you don't really know what the picture is forming and you put them together and all of a sudden the picture starts to form. God did this on purpose. The, the, they, they, by design, they are different, but they come together to picture something greater than individually. One man, one woman, leaving parents to cleave together. You, you say, well, that's an Old Testament. Go to Matthew 19. We don't have time for it, but that's exactly what Jesus references right here when he says, you want to talk about marriage? Moses didn't say that. Moses said that, but that's from God. Jesus says God said that. That's God's design. Jesus attributes this to God. This isn't something man came up with. This is God's heart here. The main actor in marriage is God. God is the one doing this. And, and as such, it cannot be treated casually. Marriage is God's doing. It is a one flesh union that God himself performs. Jesus says that what God has joined together, let no man separate. Gender matters. Sexuality matters. Definitions matter. And again, not wanting to preach a whole uh, sermon on it, but it, it fits into this. You, you could state every single one of these truths regarding gender confusion. The so-called gender confusion that's going on in our culture. To change your gender is to go against God. Who, who made you male? God did. Who made you female? God did. It's, it's to go against God. It's to rebel. This ain't about confusion. Listen to me. There may be stuff going on. Look, and it, it's, it's about rebellion. It's about sin. It's about refusing to submit themselves to the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. You, you may not like the fact that you're a man or a woman, but you're not confused about what you are. You know what you are. You may not like it. And there may be stuff going on, but guess what? I would tell you there may be stuff going on in some of us that make us uh, give us a propensity to anger or to, to other sins. That doesn't give me a right to be angry. Just because I may, I may want to be angry or I may tend to be angry. That doesn't give me a right. That's called sin. And by the grace of God and by the power of His Word, we crucify that flesh and that sin so we no longer obey its lust, the Bible says. You live by the Spirit then you don't obey the flesh lusts. 
This is about rebellion, not confusion. I mean, you can ask my seven-year-old daughter, Sarah Grace, and with 100% accuracy, she can tell you what you are. If you're wondering, go see her. She'll talk to you. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to bring this down to the level of foolishness that, that our world has gotten to. It's about rebellion. This is about refusing to submit to God. This is about everyone wanting to do what's right in their own eyes. And so I ask you, as I close, and we'll build upon this in a couple weeks and answer a few more questions, just, just briefly ask yourself, does your view of marriage line up with the Scriptures? Have you watered down God's standards in order to be accepted by others? Have you been tempted to water down God's standards to be accepted by others? How do you view your sexuality? Do, do you embrace the fact that you're a woman and, and, and you want to be the, a godly woman? Do you embrace the fact that you're a man and you want to be a, a godly man? Even at the young age, as some of you boys are in here listening, even at an early age, start learning now to be a godly man and a godly woman. Start learning now what it means to be a, a godly spouse and a, and, a, and a godly husband and wife. Embrace that now. Listen, we, we, I, I, I shared at the beginning while we're painted that way, I, I want you to understand, we're not against, we're not bigots, we're not haters, we're not enemies of the human race. Listen to me, we're lovers of God. We're lovers of God. And my allegiance is to God. And Jesus made it very clear, if you're for me, the world's going to be against you. Our allegiance to God will put us in a position to be at odds with man at times. That's just the way it is. But our allegiance with God cannot waver. Our loyalty to Him and His truth cannot waver. We're not being haters by saying a man and a man can't marry or two women can't be married. What we're saying is it is against God's design. No, no more than I would say adultery between two heterosexual people, wrong. Stealing, wrong. Lying, wrong. Oh, you said I'm a lie. You caught me in a lie. You're just a hater of the uh, uh, enemy of the human race. No, I'm, you're lying. Why do you hate me? Because I steal. I hate just. I hate the stealing. I hate it because that falls short of the glory of God. And those are exactly why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. Because Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And 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 how we approach these individuals, we got to be careful. They think we hate them because a lot of times Christians have in, insinuated that we hate them. Our own actions have aided in that. Their sin and their struggle with sin is just as big a deal as the sin that you struggle, struggle with, heterosexual male and female. You may not struggle with their sin, and they may not struggle, but guess what? Sin, at the end of the day, separates us from God and we need a Savior. And the people who struggle with this need a Savior as much as I need a Savior. They need Jesus. They need the cross, as Daniel sang about this morning. That's what we need. We're for God. And guess what? The reason why we're challenging them is because we're for them and we want to lead them to, to the Savior who can forgive their sins and give them the ability to fight off sin and crucify the flesh. That's what we're for. We want to bring them to the Savior who was willing to give His life to die for the very sin that they're committing. Listen, gender goes back to, 
to, to, to God and His design. Believe it, trust it, and defend it. Different means different, not in equality, but in purpose. Male is male, female is female, and they're not interchangeable. So next week, Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll, we'll address just what is marriage and, and the roles in that. But hear me, if you're here today and, and you need a Savior, the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ, let's talk afterwards. If you're here and you're struggling, maybe you're in a specific situation and you need help in talking, let's talk. Maybe you're here today and, and all this stuff about Jesus, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Listen, the Bible is very clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin separates us from God. There's no way that we can get back to God on our own. But God in His great love sent His own Son, Jesus, to reconcile us, to bring us back to Himself. Can't do it on our own. Having a right theology on marriage won't do it. Repenting of your sinfulness and trusting in Jesus Christ with your whole life and living for that salvation. And He's offered it to anyone. And as saved individuals, our, our responsibility is to conform our theology and our thoughts and our lives to this word. It's what it means to be Christ-like. It's what it means, as Daniel's saying, to be lights in a dark world. And I pray that we do that with grace and love and mercy, the same grace and love and mercy that we, we ourselves have received. Not condemning and being hard on the sins that we don't struggle with, being hard on our own sins first, and then dealing with other people's sins. Might the world see that in us first? 